0: Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Woolsey, President of Woolsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with us today. Uh, we got a lot of things to talk about. And by the way, Woolsey Asset Management is a proud investing partner of the San Diego Padres. But a lot of things to talk about today. As I said, we got the jobs report came out yesterday. Markets were closed on Friday, but they still have jobs reports. So we'll talk about that. Also, the labor market, that includes JOLTS, which is a Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey. We'll discuss that. And uh, something very interesting I, I we, we brought out was mutual fund managers that, that don't uh, invest in their own funds. We're going to talk more about that. And uh, with me, as always,
1: is uh, Chase. Chase, what do you got? Well, uh, good to be here, as always. And uh, you want to join the show, you got a question about a, a particular stock, the economy, whatever it may be, give us a call, 833-288. 0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And uh, also, too,
0: I want to mention we do have the workshop coming up. Uh, it is, I'll give you more details about it. But if you really want to understand more about investing, how to invest using fundamentals, the emotional side of investing really gets to you, that's why we do these workshops. The next workshop is going to be April 20th from 6 to 8 uh, in Scripps Ranch. Uh, It is a free workshop. You will learn more than you ever learned before. And we have well over, uh, uh, I think, 1,200 clients now. And they just don't get emotional because of how we do things. If you understand how we invest our clients' money, this is a great opportunity to see in detail what we do. Uh, Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's April 20th. It uh, starts at 6 o'clock. In Scripps Ranch. Well, let's move on to the jobs report because, given the concerns around the economy, I'd say the jobs report was a positive one. It wasn't too hot, which uh, would provide evidence for the Fed to increase rates more than anticipated. But it also wasn't too far below expectations, and overall, it showed a softening of labor market. Not a bad labor market. You got to understand the two differences there. Headline payrolls grew by 236,000 compared to the estimate of 238,000. But the big highlight came from the average hourly earnings, which increased just 4.2% on the annual basis. It was the smallest increase since uh, June of 2021. For most of 2022, the annual gains were over 5%, with March being the peak at 5.9%. This is more evidence that inflation is becoming a smaller problem. Also, another highlight was the labor force participation rate again ticked higher is 62.6%, which was the highest level since pre-COVID levels.
1: And then for comparison, in February 2020, the labor force participation rate was 63.3%. We still have some room to go there. But uh, areas that led the way in job gains, uh, again, of course, leisure and hospitality at 72,000. Healthcare and social assistance was another one at 50,800, and the government at 47,000. Leisure and hospitality still remains 2.2%, or 368,000 jobs below pre-COVID levels. And I was really surprised by this one, because I normally don't like to see government have a lot of jobs in the labor report, but I was shocked to see that it's still lower by 314,000 jobs, or 1.4% compared to pre-COVID levels. (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There are also four declining groups in the report, as retail trade was down 14,600, construction was down 9,000, and manufacturing and financial activities were both down 1,000 jobs as well.
0: And when you step back and look at those construction down 9,000 jobs, I mean, that's nationwide. That is not a big decline. And I still hear a lot of people that are in construction very, very busy. Manufacturing, uh, and financial activities. Now I'm surprised that's combined. Was that combined No, they,
1: they each lost one thousand. Each
0: lost one thousand okay, but but even so, that is very surprising. Manufacturing and I know we, we, we looked at the ISM number, the PMI number of manufacturing and so forth still above fifty which is the PMI
1: the, for manufacturing was it is not was, above it was 47 seven
0: wasn't it yeah it was forty seven so so again that is a still a positive because it's not above a fifty which is growth below fifty is declining only one thousand jobs lost in manufacturing
1: that's not bad and the big thing again that we've talked a lot about on this show is you have to understand with the manufacturing. What happened during COVID was everybody was buying stuff. Right. So you're buying stuff. You manufactured a lot of goods. I think that people kind of, I don't want to say overextended themselves, but that's where their dollars were going. So I think companies had to hire people then to actually produce a lot of that stuff. Now I think we've kind of seen a reduction in demand on the manufactured goods side. So then companies have had to pull back a little bit, and you've seen a contraction in the manufacturing sector. But gosh, I think it only makes up like 30% of our economy. Goods aren't as big as services. And the other thing too on the financials, uh, down a thousand jobs. That's also surprising
0: because I I know they include mortgage brokers. I assume they would include realtors as well on the financial side. I'm not sure. I I know mortgage brokers are in there, but also with the banking situation and, and tightening of, of credit. Uh, I'm surprised it's only a thousand on the financial side. So and and this especially show,
1: you wipe out all Silicon Valley Bank employees. <laughs> you
0: know. uh, Silicon. Who's the other ones? Um, signature. Signature and uh, yeah. So. Uh, and who they work with as well mm-hmm. so it is surprising to only have a, a, a thousand decline and I still say this is a good labor market I don't expect to see and actually I think we did say say but unemployment did fall to 3.5% so I mean we have a good job market. the next one we're going to talk about too is a jolts port. so l-
1: let's talk real about quick that. on Some retail on re- retail trade as well that was the big loser i was actually shocked by this department stores actually added jobs department stores did mm-hmm. oh. but the decliners came from uh, like kind of home improvement stores and so forth
0: oh like the home depots and the,
1: yep. the lows i guess and, and furniture stores was another decliner as well kind of piggybacking off the idea of good manufacturing right. and, and i think and i was talking to a
0: uh, a friend of mine who owns a, a business here that uh, that's in the furnishings and so forth, and he said that really seeing a big slowdown, and I said, I, I people are still, they've got their jobs, they're still saying, you know what? And and also, too, they bought a lot of stuff during COVID. I mean, the furniture stores were packed mm-hmm. during COVID, people going in, they're just spending the money. Well, now, like, I don't need a new living room set. I don't need a new recliner. I, I've got this, so I think there's a slowdown that people, they're not, it's not their pulling off on the spending they just don't need it and like well I'm not going to waste my money if I don't need it so I I think you'll see an adjustment there for for months to come where people just don't need new furniture
1: I mean you, it doesn't matter what, what type of business you're in you're always going to have your booms and you're always going to have your trough but yeah. what happens is when that trough happens now you kind of return to growth once things level out and things kind of get back to a more normalized type environment so I, I think maybe this could be another adjustment year but then perhaps in you know 2000 24, 2025, right. you know, you could kind of see the good sector start to recover.
0: And the other comparison that they could do, which I don't know if everybody would want to do this, but a, a, a furniture store could actually do this, I believe, is compare their sales today to 2018, 2019. Because when you compare it to 2020, 2021, it's like, wow, yeah, things are booming. So you may be back to where, and back in 2018-19, everything was fine. like Things were good. But compared to the boom, we're actually down. Let's talk about the labor market. And for that, we mean the uh, Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey, also known as JOLDS. That uh, number came in on February, came in at 9.93 million. Uh, This was a fall of 632 job openings when compared to the month of January. And it missed the estimate of 10.4 million openings, uh, this was the first time since May 2021 that job openings fell below 10 million. And then, while this may still sound concerning, uh, there's still about uh, 1.7 jobs available for every available worker.
1: And, and also, to it again, the big thing that I look back on is if we go to January 2016 to February 2020. Uh, it's a pretty good time for the economy most people are like yeah the economy's doing well we're we're all happy back then no no concerns job openings range during that time period from 5.59 million to 7.59 million so yes we've fallen below 10 million but we still have a ton of job openings compared to where we were at in a good economy the other thing that i wanted to point out was layoffs they actually declined 215,000 from January to a level of 1.5 million and oh my gosh 1.5 million layoffs it it sounds terrible right Mm -hmm. but again it's all relative at the end of the day looking at that same time period of January 2016 to February 2020 layoffs ranged from 1.59 million to 1.97 million and again overall I got to say this is a softening labor market but by no means is this a weak labor market
0: and we keep talking about this period that, that you've got to compare numbers to something that's comparable to and then, and again comparing february two thousand sixteen to february i'm sorry january 2016 to february 2020 everybody was happy then yeah. you, you, you everything's going along fine we're all happy no concerns i don't want to say no concerns but you know we weren't saying oh you know oh i'm losing a job or the economy's doing this or say no we felt that was a good time and, I, and when you compare those numbers, like the Jolts report and so forth, take out uh, the COVID situation. Because that was a boom for a, we'll call it 12 to 18 months. You cannot compare to that. That was a one-time thing. We'll get back to that. You're going to forget about that. And also, too, when you compare next year's numbers to this year's
1: numbers, oh, back to normal again. Oh, and the thing that you got to look at is, you, again, you wiped out the labor market for a couple of months. Yeah, And then you had this massive growth because you had people regaining those jobs that were wiped out in such a right. short time period. And, and the thing I was going to say, too, that is so funny is when you look at, I'm going to say, like, the news and headlines and so forth, again, in, in that period, there was a, a time where there was layoffs of $1.97 million. I don't remember the news blowing it out of proportion like they do with, oh my gosh, you
2: see Microsoft's laying off
1: employees and AMO. And it, it, it wasn't a big deal because it was kind of within a normalized range. But right. but now it's like we had such low layoffs for a couple of years that this seems so elevated, but in reality, it, it's, it's really not.
0: <laughs> and, and this is because the mainstream media does not do what we're doing right now and say, okay, yeah, we have the, these layoffs, but compare them to a period before COVID, and all of a sudden like, well, no, it's not that bad. And you're right. They didn't talk about that in, in 2018, 2019, because it wasn't news. But the mainstream media makes it news and scares people. Where people think, oh, yeah, we're in a recession. Oh, everybody's getting laid off. No, it, it, it's not fine. Businesses are doing what they need to do to keep their business profitable. They have a lot of cash on the balance sheets. But why? And also, too, during COVID, a lot of businesses overhired. Yep. And 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 unfortunately, some of those were remote workers who were like, yeah, they're not really that productive. We don't need them. Let's just get rid of them.
1: Yeah. And, and the thing that I'm going to say as well is I'm going to say that I would not be surprised if job openings continue to fall mm-hmm. and layoffs actually – increase a little bit more because, again, we're reverting back to a normalized economy and a more normalized labor market, not this craziness that was happening during COVID and and post-COVID in the short term.
0: Yeah, because you said here that the layoffs were, what were they for this this period? 1.5 million. 1.5 million. So back in uh, February, well, from the 2016, 2020, they went as high as 1.97 million. So we'll call it 2 million. So it could go up to that. Can you imagine the media? Oh Oh, my my gosh. gosh, all these layoffs coming up like, no, not really that bad. So, and, and what this does, and this is why we do the Smart Investing Show, is this prevents people from investing or going to a short term T bill. Well, I can get, you know, 5%. You know, I'm just going to do that until things get better. Uh, things aren't bad. And and you're going to see, I, and I think for the right business this year, I think you're going to see some good returns come December 31st. And if you're afraid of watching the job market and thinking all these layoffs and all how terrible that is, You're going to miss an opportunity come December 31st by buying the wrong companies or being a T-bill or in cash.
1: Well, I think this is exactly what we need because, you know, kind of when we look at, uh, you know, it's not on our list to talk about today. So just briefly talk about the ISM service number, which it, it missed expectations and that spooked the market this week as well. But it was still above 50 and services, again, is a large part of our economy. And the thing is, things are slowing, but they're not necessarily falling off a cliff and we're going into this deep recession. The reason that's so important is if we have enough data that Let's say all of a sudden the the job openings was like five hundred thousand. I think the Fed would be like, "Ooh, we got to hike fifty basis points." That would spook the market even more. Yeah. And I think right now we could be entering, you know, they they call it like a Goldilocks type situation where if we can get enough of a softening but not a complete fall off, right, that'd be a, a ideal situation. And I think it's very possible. Right. And and a little
0: off track here. Um, people are afraid of the market because there are expensive things in the market. We, we, we do still see companies trading at 25 to 35 times earnings. That, that's just too high. And if you're messing around with those companies, yeah, there could be a fall there. Um, but there's other great opportunities in the market, and do not let this information from the mainstream media scare you about, oh, the you know, the job layoffs and, oh, this is terrible. They will only pick the negative side and not do a fair comparison like we did here, saying, wait a minute step back to before covid and do a better comparison
2: and
1: i I will say this next week is quite interesting because we do kick off earnings season with uh, the big banks on uh, friday that could be very telling because financials have gotten hit obviously quite hard with the silicon valley bank situation if you start to see good numbers from the bank and good guidance going forward i think you could see a a nice resolution for the financial sector and also you know maybe a a lot of other stocks in there as well but the the downside is a lot of these companies as you mentioned that are, are uh, again, overvalued, right. is if they slow down more than anticipated, that's where the stock gets hit. Because it, let's say you're expected to grow at 10% on your earnings and you're trading at 25, 30 times earnings, and you come in and grow at only 5%, people say, oh, yeah, but they grew. It's like, well, they're expecting a higher right. growth rate. That's why they have a higher multiple all of a sudden, that multiple can't be justified with a 5% growth rate. That's where the, those big tech stocks get hit quite hard.
0: And, and I just wrote a post for next week, which uh, was about Costco. And, and I, I don't remember all the details. But I do know a year ago that they were growing their sales at like, and these are process numbers. You'll get the, if you get the newsletter, you'll get the full numbers next week. Uh, but they were growing their sales like at 12%. Uh, I believe now they grew at 2 or 3%. Yeah. Uh, and the stock is still, I think the stock's down about 20% from the high. But sales dropped b- about, you know, what, four hundred percent or so. Yeah, yeah. So um, the that, sales growth dropped. Not sales growth, happened. right? Yeah. So yeah, did I say sales drop? I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah sales growth dropped. Did that'd be go. that'd be pretty bad if your sales just dropped four hundred percent. Oh, that'd be <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for correcting me on that one. <laughs> so,
0: all right. Well, let's move on. And, and by the way, we're going to open the phone lines. Uh, you want that unbiased, no change attached, formal opinion penny about what you want to talk about? Got questions on investing? Got questions on a, a, a business equity stock that you own? That's what we're here for we'll run down the fundamentals to see if it is a good time to invest in that company or maybe time to sell give us a call here eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three well chase i did not want to talk about the uh, mutual fund managers uh i knew there were a lot of mutual funds out there but i was shocked to see how few uh managers actually participate in their own funds that they're managing According to Morningstar, some 4,643 out of a total of 7,108 funds have zero manager
1: investment. I just got to say, I think this is just crazy. And as much as people talk about different objectives and risk tolerance, uh, we've always been a big believer that a good investment for us should be a good investment for our clients. Ultimately, I believe that everyone shares the same objective, the main objective that is when it comes to investing, and that is to make money. This, again, is why we actually invest in the same companies as our clients when we manage money. And it just—I I don't know. I, I, I just can't believe it. And, you know, I actually had somebody point out um, something on Facebook, and it was, a, uh, it was an interesting point. He said it'd be stupid for them to buy their own fund because then they would pay a fee. But I do believe—and we're not a mutual fund, so right. I, I don't know all the, the rules on it— but I, I don't believe a mutual fund manager can buy in a personal account what they're buying in the mutual fund because then they could perhaps front run it, and yeah, it, it would—you wouldn't be able to manage it the same. Right, right. So I—I I just I think it is interesting.
0: Well, and, and why shouldn't they pay that fee? Or unless it's a very high fee, then no one should yeah, pay that exactly. fee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the guy
1: said, well, it would be stupid for them to pay a 2% manager. And I'm like, 2%? And especially, I'm sure they get the institutional shares, which many times is, you know, 0. 04 0.6%, somewhere in that right. range on a, a, a good active mutual fund. I mean, yeah, if you're getting retail shares. Maybe, but I, I think they would at least get the, the deal of the, the cheapest shares available. <laughs> and also,
0: too, many mutual funds have different classes of shares. They've got A shares, B shares, C shares, institutional shares. Uh, so that fund manager doesn't have to buy the most expensive yeah. fee uh, shares. He could buy the institutional shares and pay, I don't know, maybe 40%. And many times they need you a million dollars to get those, so it's a much higher level for institution side. But the manager could button into that, and why are they not doing that? And that's one thing that because uh, when we talk about mutual funds, we're not big on mutual funds because of you know all the problems you have, uh, net redemptions, and and window dressing, and and that's another one I I didn't even think about. I, I, I would not recommend anybody invest in mutual fund that the fund manager's not missing. Yeah. Why, why would you do that? Where's he? I would have put my money where he's putting his money. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know? So um, it would make no sense to do that, and I think if I was in a mutual fund, I would want to find out where's the fund manager putting his money.
1: Yeah, and, and also, too, I mean, let's say they're paying a 0.4% fee. I, I think it would be more work for them to try and invest somewhere else than just invest in their mutual fund, essentially, and it just yeah. kind of complicate things, especially because i got to imagine there's, a huge subset of rules when it comes... To, I, I mean, gosh, you I look hope at... So. you Yeah, you look at, like, accountants and so forth. Like, many of them that work on that, they can't buy stocks that they're auditing. I'm like, I don't think a mutual fund manager should be able to buy stocks in a personal portfolio that they're taking many times billions of right. dollars worth of money to <laughs> then put into these stocks. I mean, you could benefit from that indirectly, essentially. So I i do don't—I think that would be a, a rule that would be in place. Right. And, and, and the other thing, too, I mean, where are they putting their money? I mean... Uh, That would make
0: no sense to me why you're managing this and you're putting your money somewhere else. Uh, About 95% of my liquid net worth, uh, which does not include the business, is invested the same way as my client's money is. And I've done that for years. Uh, I don't own any real estate. It actually is in that portfolio buying the same thing for my clients. And I've done very well over the years because we're on the same side we're on the same side. We both want to do well. Yeah. I don't understand that. I, I was just shocked to see it was that high. I mean, I, I thought, eh, there's probably some that don't do it, but gosh, that's more than half.
1: Well, and it's it just, again, it, it comes down to this whole concept of asset allocation and risk tolerance. And I, I just got to say, I mean, it, we just are not believers in risk tolerance. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm conservative. And all risk tolerance is, in, in my opinion, is it was a tool that was created so that people could sell different asset allocations to, right. to clients. And it was an easy way to do it. And it kind of puts the blame on the client for the performance yeah. of the advisor many times. They say, oh, I, I'm conservative. And you only average, let's say, 3 to 4%. Well, And then the advisors come back and say, well, what did you expect? You're a conservative investor. right?" And right. It, it's just, I, I think it's really backwards a lot of times because you're kind of asking the client what they want. Where in our opinion, we want to invest in good companies and then educate people why they're good companies. Not say, oh, You're conservative, let's put you in bonds. Well, again, we knew bonds were a terrible investment the last two years, but conservative investors loaded up on those and were loaded up on those because again, the asset allocation model. And we talk about risk tolerance. uh, There should be a
0: volatility tolerance because we define the difference when people come in, we talk about investing the money for them. We talk about the difference of risk versus volatility. They're two different things. And to say you're risk adverse, well, that's okay. I, I don't like to lose money either. But we're okay with volatility, which is just the up and down movements. If you're buying good quality, you don't have the risk. You have the volatility, and that's what we talk about—the education for people. Don't worry about volatility, um, and don't confuse it with the risk, which is people doing like, "Oh, you got to be more conservative." Why? Because I'm investing for 10 years. So if you invest in this year, I go down 10 percent, but next year I make 20 percent. Uh, why do I have to worry about that volatility? I'm going down the 10 10
1: year route. Well, I mean that—that's the big thing that I think is so important for people to understand is, again, you look 10 years down the road. Now, I'm, I'm 60 years old. Are you not going to live to 70? It, right. You know, that's a pretty high chance you are. And even if you're 80, there's a chance you live to 90. If you're 90, there's a chance you live to 100. <laughs> you know, you're looking at such a short time period. And when you look 10 years down the road again, you're not going to care if you had losing years. You're right. going to say, how did my money do over that 10-year period? And if you were in the bank or you were in T-bills or whatever and you made 3% per year, I think you're going to be pretty pissed off. Right. <laughs> and especially the people that made 8 to 10%. You're saying, oh, gosh, I should have done that. And it's
0: funny. I I did talk to a gentleman that became a client, uh, I think it was last week. And uh, he, he's like in his 70s. And I, I said, yeah. I said, you know, you'll probably live another 10, 15 years. So no problem. He goes, what? I better live at least 25, 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> Don't say 10, 15. You know? So uh, w- we want to think about that, oh, I'm concerned because I'm older. But then, in reality, you know, we do want to live longer, and and we have many clients in their 80s, which are doing phenomenal. And and it's just that, and and if something does happen to you and you pass away earlier, we always talk about this generational wealth. Mm-hmm. We're trying to build wealth not just for you, but for your family as well, so that your family can do well. And so it's just it, it's it doesn't stop once you pass away. Um, it will continue on. And, and I don't think you'll pass away as, as quickly as you have gone and, and I think we have a quite a few clients in their 90s now, uh, I, yeah. I, more than I can count. So I'll put it there.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, again, is when you look at it, I mean, I, I talk to people and they say, oh, this money is for my kids. Well, if I was their kids, I'd be pissed off if it's just sitting in the bank <laughs> because yeah. it's like, well, you could actually increase the value of that money. And, it, you know, worst case, if you don't need that money— and your kids inherit it down the road. Maybe it is during a down period. Well, it doesn't really matter. You didn't need it during a down period. So that's where the risk would come into play if you need to liquidate it. But you don't need to liquidate it. No. So, I mean, understanding how to structure your portfolio is very important. And understanding your liquidity needs is really what allows you to invest properly. Right. And
0: and we've had uh, many clients where, you know, they, they pass away, goes to the show, and they get a step up in basis, which is nice. So you're, you're actually passing something along. Where if you just, well, I'm, I'm, i am I got to be careful. So I'll put it in, you know, oh, I'm going to get a 4% CD. Well, wow, I'm so excited about that. No, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, especially if you could invest in it and, and you live another 10 years, that money would probably more than double unless you took money from it um, and you passed to your children at a better estate tax or state tax. and uh, Well, no state tax. You got no state tax. Uh, you get the step well, on the basis. As yeah. long as you have yeah, you, less than the estate limits. But. Y- y- yeah, that's why there are benefits to it yep. and and as always you got to check with your cpa your your tax attorney and stuff like that but it's just there are benefits to it to grow that generational wealth um and it is there for you as well so this is why uh well let, let me also say too, uh promote the, the newsletter because this stuff we we, we have in our newsletter the, the newsletter is growing very rapidly people love the newsletter because you can probably read it in about five minutes And and you can get a lot of different information out of the the newsletter. I mean, other other things we we put in the newsletter this uh, week. Uh, We did talk about the ISM services number, uh, TikTok statistics, what's going on with TikTok. That's in the news a lot. Uh, We also talk about money movement, OPEC and oil prices, so many different things. Uh, that you'll get from the newsletter. It is
1: free. i got to say, we also added in there how we got fact-checked on social media.
0: (laughs) And it had nothing to do with our post. Well, to bring that one up, because that's probably one we will probably talk about today, because it is kind of crazy that we got fact-checked. We will explain to you how that happened, because it was way off base. And I really think somebody needs to check the fact checkers because I don't think the fact checkers have a clue what they're doing. And they don't even fix it.
1: <laughs> they yeah. just left
0: it. And, and it. and it's a big thing across our picture on, on, on the social media. Like, this may be, what did it say? This may be unreliable information oh, or some yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's like so,
1: partially incorrect yeah. or partially and false or something. Partially
0: false. And it was on the JOLTS report. We yeah. got the information from the, what the Bureau of Labor Statistics or from the government. I mean, just you know, so it's kind of funny. But uh, anyways, you can get the newsletter. It is free. Uh, just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, go to the section right in the middle where it says newsletter, and uh, it's, just click on there, sign up for it, and you'll get the uh, get the newsletter every Friday at 5 o'clock when it goes out. So, All right, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833 288 0973, and let's talk about the workshop because it is coming up in just a, a, a few weeks here. Uh, at the workshop, you're gonna learn how you should be investing now because we talked about people kind of concerned about the economy, the labor market, We'll talk about that, how to invest now. Will there be recession or not? We're going to discuss that and how to invest during these times. Are price fluctuations keeping you from investing? People saying, oh, things are up and down, up and down. I'm going to wait on the sidelines until things get better. No, learn how to invest with price fluctuations. And also, to how proper financial planning can reduce your taxes. It is a free workshop, but you have to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting 2000com and look forward to seeing you on April 20th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. All right, phone number's here again 833-288-0973. 833-288-0973. Let's go out to or, or down to Chula Vista and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you
2: out? Uh, nutrient, NTR.
0: All right. Do you hold that or looking to buy it? Uh,
2: just, just bought 100 shares of it. Uh, try to get your opinion before I get anymore.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was, was going to say, did you just buy it yesterday? Couldn't buy it uh, yesterday. No, oh, no, oh, no, no, Thursday. Thir- 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 Thursday. <laughs> Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at uh, nutrient uh, symbols NTR uh, in the agricultural inputs industry. I've never heard of that industry before. Uh, only about 1.3% short on it, so that's pretty good. Institutional own 72%. Very good P.E. ratio, good start here, 4.8 versus 6.6. Price of sales looks good, 1 versus 1.1. Price to book value, and this is tangible book value, 3.1 versus 21.7. And price of cash flow, 4.5 versus 6.3. Uh, also has a very good peg ratio, 0.8 versus not material for the industry, so I like a, a good start here in the valuation ratios. Looking at the growth, well, a good start here as well. 82% growth on the year for their earnings versus 37.5 for the industry. Sales growth up 23.4 versus 16.5. That's a positive. Five-year earnings per share estimated growth by the analyst, 8.2%. Industry, a negative 2.4%. <sighs> Company also pays a nice dividend of 3.1%, only using 13.5% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, They have increased that dividend by about 10.4% over the last year and 13.9% over the last five years. Taking a look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.1 versus 1.7. That is, that's okay. We'll we'll accept that because the debt to equity is only 0.5, far below the industry at 1.7. So you want a higher current ratio. Lower debt to equity, so we got that uh, mostly on track there. I I, I like that. That's okay. And I love this net profit margin, 20.2 versus 16%. Return on equity, 29.7 versus 21.9. Gosh, I, 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 everything on this looked good so far. Chase, what do you got? You got you
1: got to spoil the party here or what? Uh, well, I haven't looked at the, the numbers necessarily going forward <laughs> just yet, but I, cause I was curious will. what the company did, just a little more detail. Is they they actually were created as a result of a merger between Potash Corp and Agrium. Nutrient is now the world's largest fertilizer producer by capacity. Uh, they actually produce the, the three main crop nutrients, nitrogen, potash, and phosphate, uh, again, although its main focus isn't potash, it's the global leader, global leader in installed capacity with roughly 20% share. And they also do sell as an agricultural retailer in the U.S. They sell fertilizers, crop chemicals, seeds, and services directly to farm customers uh, through brick-and-mortar stores and online platforms. Also, found this interesting: they are headquartered in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. Oh wow! Yeah, so are not a, a headquartered in the U.S. but it uh, always stood out to me because from the movie Grown Ups, years ago, there's a scene where the lifeguard says, says he's from Saskatchewan, and I was like, I'd never heard of it before. That <laughs> was the first company I've ever seen, I think, from Saskatchewan. We should go on vacation. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> so, little side note there, but uh, that would be a little, little interesting. But current price here for Nutrien is $68.01. Wow, 52-week high, $117.25, and the low is $67.52. I see year-to-date down 6.2% and the one-year return down 31.1% as well. Going forward, though, for the business I got to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share here of $8.07. That would give us a target sell price of $133.96. Looks very attractive. I will point out, though, the earnings have been declining quite severely in 2023 it's estimated they'll decline by about 29 percent 2024 estimated decline again about 13 and a half percent and i do know that the potash and agricultural kind of department was doing very well i think it was the beginning of last year and i think there was a lot of demand pull for it i think all the kind of input costs and stuff was very favorable i think things have kind of started to reverse course so the numbers look very good, but I worry it could be almost like a, a value trap potentially as well. And actually, i was just thinking,
0: you said the earnings were about $8 uh, a share. Uh-huh. They drop another 20%. That would give you, what, about uh, 640 You would
1: still have, I think, a good target sell price. You uh, would, but if they continue to drop in the, the coming years as well, that stock price could not go up because... You could have a a good target sell price, but that's what I'm saying. It could be a value trap because if the earnings continue to decline over the next five, six, seven years, you're going to be, instead of growing into a higher multiple, you're going to be declining into a higher multiple, essentially. And I guess the important part here,
0: uh, uh, Jim, is to understand is why are the earnings declining? What is going on here? Because this could turn around tomorrow or six months or even a year, and you could see the stock price continue to fall, but you can figure out why those earnings are falling. Because this this company looks very good. I, I, I thought maybe because of the combination, you'd have a high, you know, intangible assets. Uh, that wasn't the case. I looked at the price of tangible book value, 3.1, price to book 1.3.
1: So there's not a lot. I can't find anything wrong with this company. I, I will tell you, I, I think it has something to do with energy. I believe that there's either a large amount of like natural gas or some type of right. oil or, or something that goes into the phosphate making process that that is driving up the cost of that potentially this is again a, a, an estimation here but if that is the case i think that's a positive because while the energy market i think remains troubled over the next year maybe two years it's not gonna remain troubled for the next five ten years right right i
0: i, I think this is definitely worth the research and, and again this company is nutrient symbol ntr uh jim I, I think you stumbled onto something i i think there's more research to be done on it but i i think it's worth it um and, and I would just want to find out, yeah, and how much of, of petroleum or natural gas does it take to do this? Because uh, mm-hmm. it could be an overshoot. But I, I, I like this business. I, I It's one of these businesses that I like with the fertilizer, stuff like that. You, it's not going to be, oh, don't need fertilizer anymore. Oh, yeah. can't be replaced by technology. So I like it. Uh, Jim, you found a pretty good one there. Okay, thank you, sir. All right, well, you have a good one. Thanks for calling.
2: Thanks, bye now. Bye-bye.
0: All right, that opens oh, on the phone line, 833- 288 That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. I I just like
1: seeing companies like that. It's, it's just a it's you know. Gosh, I think it was at the beginning of like last year or something. I just remember these these uh potash companies, they were just like on fire. Remember they like started the year up like sixty yeah. and I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. So I I think now is potentially time. I mean, this this has been cut in essentially half compared to its 52-week high, pretty close to that level. Right. I mean, that, to me, provides a, a good amount of, like, downside risk there to it. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of positives, but as you said, as we always recommend, you got to just do a little bit more research to see, well, there's a reason why it's down close to 50%, essentially. Right. Right. Why is that reason, and is it fisc- fixable
0: is the big right. question. fixable. And, again, you could buy it at 68. It, it could go down to 50. But where is it going to be two, three years from now? Because, again, it's just a good basic business. Um, not a of of intangible assets. I mean, not a lot of debt. I mean, there's just so many good things you collect. What was the dividend? Three, three point one percent, I think it was. Uh, I, I would not mind seeing this in our portfolio, based on what I see. More research to do, but yeah, th- this is a good basic business. I, hmm. I, like a nutrient. Uh, is that how you say it? Nutrien? Nutrient. Nutrient. Yeah. Nutrient. are is symbol. All right. Phone number is here. 963 That's eight three three. 2880973. Listen up to Oceanside and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Venture Brenton Brent and Chase. How can we help you?
2: Hi, Brent and Chase. Uh, I wonder if you could tell me about Ford and specifically if the dividend, if you feel that that dividend is well covered or not.
0: Okay. Uh, I haven't looked at Ford in quite a while. So yeah. let's take a look at the Ford Motor Company. Uh, their symbol is F as in Ford. Uh, I think it's one of the few that still has a single letter. A symbol, I can't think about any other. T. Oh, and yeah, team. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking about them now. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's look at the Ford here. The symbol again is F. Uh, not much on the short side, 3.8%. I'm surprised on this. Uh, only 52.7% interest are owned. I thought that would be much higher than that. Uh, we do see no P.E. ratio uh, because of the last 12 months they have no earnings. The industry was at 115 We do see a price attainable book value 1.1 versus 4.0. And I will point out that's the same as a price of book. So they have no intangible assets on their balance sheet. That's a surprise to me. I think all the other car manufacturers probably do. Uh, Price of cash flow 7.2, above the industry 6.8, no PEG ratio. The industry does come in at 4.5. Over the last year, no earnings growth, but sales are up 17.4%, not quite as good as the industry growth at 22%. Unfortunately, the five-year earnings per share estimated growth from the analyst shows a negative 11.7% for Ford, but a f- positive 58 for the industry. They do pay a 4.9% uh, dividend, which is very attractive. No payout ratio because they are borrowing to pay that out currently uh, with no earnings. Uh, we do see that the balance sheet current ratio 1.2 versus 1.5. That's okay. Debt to equity 3.3 versus 0.7, which is concerning but many times with uh, car companies you have to be careful because they do finance the cars for for the customers and that can kind of throw off the balance sheet so that's not always all their debt we do see a net profit margin of a negative 1.2 percent versus a positive 5.8 return equity a negative 4.6 versus a positive Fourteen point six and chase while you're doing your thing. I'm gonna look at the cash flow statements, see what the cash flow looks like.
1: Yeah, current price here for forward twelve dollars and thirty three cents. Fifty two week high was sixteen dollars and sixty eight cents, and the low ten dollars and sixty one cents. I do see year to date up about twelve point six percent. And going forward for forward to December two thousand twenty four, I do see estimated earnings per share here of a dollar and seventy four cents. That would give us a nice target sell price. Of twenty eight dollars and eighty eight cents. I mean, it trades at a very attractive multiple of about seven times. Uh, I will say though, the these consumer cyclical stocks. I mean, generally, they have lower multiples, like mm-hmm. just by the the nature of their business because their business is so cyclical. So generally, during boom times, they're going to have lower multiples, and then during downtimes or multiples will expand not because it's it's good but because their earnings shrink so much during difficult time periods. So, it is something to kind of keep an eye on. The, the multiples always look quite attractive for these businesses, but it is kind of something you got to really understand and dive down deep into if the business is worthwhile investing into. And also important with
0: uh, a dividends cash flow. So they go to the cash flow statement. Now, obviously, we have a December 2022. These were for the quarter. Uh, they did have positive cash flow of uh, $1,178,000,000. Uh, looking at their dividends paid, uh, that, does, that does cover the dividends. But it is the worst cash flow uh, over the past couple of years. They did have in March 2022 a negative $1 billion there. But usually, like in September, it's $3.8 billion, June 2022, $2.9 billion, December 2021, $3.5 billion. So their cash flow seems to be slowing down. I know they're spending a lot on the EV side is perhaps where their cash is going. And
1: they also have restructured to kind of implement new business units to, to give a better idea, I guess, of how their EV business is doing. So generally with restructuring, sometimes there's going to be one-time costs and so forth associated with that. I, it, it could be something that that is occurring for maybe the next year or two and then it falls off so that that is uh, again something that you'd probably want to understand and uh, also with the the kind of tilt towards EVs is obviously they're investing a lot of money in there what's their payoff looking like uh, obviously they got the Ford F150 Lightning they have now the Mustang Mach-E uh, but I, I was surprised they actually fell quite substantially in the first quarter for EV deliveries. They were like number two last year, and then they slid all the way down to number five. Obviously, Tesla's number one, but GM took the number two spot, and I think it was Hyundai came in at number three, and then there was Volkswagen at number four, and Ford at number five. Wow, I am surprised on that as well. But
0: uh, to answer your question, though, Tim, I I don't see at this time a problem with the dividend. I think Ford will continue to pay that dividend. Uh, they've done that for, for many years, except when they get real financial difficulty. They're not there yet. I think they would want to hold that dividend uh, as long as they can. So uh, answer your question, no, I think that dividend will be fine for a while.
1: My, my concern comes more from the growth of the business I and mean, yeah. how are they going to compete in yeah. the, this space. And if things slow down, generally car companies do struggle. Yeah. All right, Tim.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for that info. Very helpful.
1: All right. Well,
0: thanks for calling. You have a great day.
2: You too, thanks. Okay, bye-bye.
0: All right, that is open on the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I do want to mention again about the workshop coming up. It is going to be Thursday, April 20th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. You're going to learn a lot of information there. You hear us go over these numbers here, how we think about them. And just think about this, when we go over these numbers here, we spend probably, I'm going to say, four minutes or so analyzing numbers. In the workshop, we spend about an hour teaching about everything we do. Also, too, I have our financial planner there as well that's going to be talking about financial planning and taxes and so forth. So we spend a lot more time helping understand how we manage not just our clients' money, but our personal money as well. So it's a a great workshop. You'll learn a lot from there. Uh, But you got to sign up for the workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And, and don't let the concerns right now, the economy, say, well, I'm going to wait until things get better. No, this is when you got some great opportunities, but you got to learn how to find out what those opportunities are and how we do it. That's what the workshop's for. Again, smartinvesting2000.com is where you can sign up there. All right, uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833 833-288. 288 Zero
1: nine seven three, and uh, we do take emails as well. And we did get an email actually this morning from uh, from Richard, and uh, we'll go through that for him here. He says, uh, "Good morning. Been listening to your show for several years now. My parents have been very successful in their lives. Now in their eighties, they are passionate about their stock portfolio. For the past year, I've worked to engage my parents in your investment principles, and ultimately, we might share." together. Uh, From that conversation, my mother provided me with one of the stocks she is most enthusiastic about and was extremely curious about your opinion. They hold shares in New Mountain Financial Company. That's NMFC. Again, New Mountain and NMFC is the ticker symbol there. Be grateful if you would review this Saturday morning, uh, perhaps while waiting for your callers. I will be listening and as always, look forward to your opinion. Happy Easter, Richard.
0: All right, well, let's take a look at New Mountain Finance. I'm very curious what this does. I'm sure you'll pull it up. Well, I'd say actually an asset management is what it is. Uh, They have a 2% float on the short, not bad. They're only 44.6% institutional owned. P.E. ratio, 16.3. That compares to the industry at 70.5. Price of sales, 15.6. That's above the industry at 47 Price tangible book value, 0.9 versus 14.2. And that's pretty impressive because that means you're paying 90 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. But price of cash flow not looking good, 39.8 versus 10.4. Peg ratio looks good, 5.6 versus 12.4. Now, something's going on with this company because over the past year, their earnings fell by 58%. I, I do see the whole industry down 48% but their sales are also down 53.5%, industry down 37.5. They have a five-year growth rate of 1.5% versus 4.1. I think what attracts people is a dividend yield of 10.6%. They use 162% of their earnings to pay out that dividend, so that is not sustainable. Uh, We do see here on the balance sheet, we've got a quick ratio, I'm sorry, current ratio of 1.2 versus 2.8, that's okay. Debt to equity, a little bit on the high side, 1.5 versus 1.4, and I, I, I'll i accept 1, 1.2, 1, 1.3, but 1.5 gets me a little bit nervous. Net profit margin, well, that's kind of strange, 83.9% versus 9.4. Return to equity, 5.7 versus 5.2. So... Not really thrilled about this so far, unless you have something. You got that wrinkled look on your face, like I, don't well, know, I mean, sure, I yeah, was
1: looking at what the company does. It's a closed-end, non-diversified management investment company. So they invest in equity interests such as preferred stock, common stock, warrants, or options received in connection with debt investments, or may include direct investment in the equity of private companies. One reason their earnings could be declines maybe a write down on the balance sheet from some of the decline in the investments. Just kind of speculating on that. I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of say generally, I, I don't really like companies like this because it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your arms around what are they providing. It's not like a bank where it's easy to understand that the loans and the assets they have. I mean, this is a little bit more complicated of, of a business structure to, to get involved with. But looking at the numbers, again, for uh, New Mountain Finance Company, it's uh, $12.06 is the current price. 52-week high is $13.76, and the low is $11.09. I see year-to-date it's up about 0.2%. I would also be curious on that dividend, if it is consistent or if it kind of fluctuates up and down based off of how the company is doing. So that's something I'd be interested in. Going forward, though, go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.44 would we'll give us a target sell price at $23.90. So, I mean, the, the numbers look good on it in some aspects, but, again, it ultimately comes down to, do you understand the business structure and what this company does? If not, I would say it's not even worth the, the time of owning it because we like to understand the companies that we own. And this is hard to understand. I think you said they
0: make their business from investing in stocks, preferred stocks, bonds, and so forth. And just, like, you can't really – I I. I went on a business that I can understand what their concept is. They're they're selling chicken. Okay, I can understand that. We talked about the fertilizer. Okay, that's a good one. This one here is depending on what they're doing, what they're buying. Also, too, are they uh, leveraging it? Are they trading with options? I mean, there's so many different things that you can really mess up on this company. I I don't like confusion, I would say. And I think what's attractive is that 10% yield but we know other businesses that you can get that yield on right now. Actually reads saying get that yield on that you can see what they're doing versus this one here. I, I Minds me of a SPAC a little bit. I was going to say it's SPAC
1: or also, too, I mean, this is a, a similar situation where all of a sudden things could be fine and then you could go to Silicon Valley Bank and blow up and be like, what happened? Yeah. Well, if you don't know what they're investing in, all of a sudden things could be fine. If they're over-concentrated in, in doing that financing or having preferred shares or the common shares in particular companies in one particular space, all of a sudden that industry blows up, this company's done for. So there's a lot of research that you would have to do here because things could turn very quickly and head south and all of a sudden you'd be left with something that's worthless. Right. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps out but uh, we're not a fan of this
0: one at all. I would definitely say if you have it, I would put a sell on it and say buy buy something that's more of a business. Yeah, so. it's just the understanding of it is yeah. the, the big yeah. question mark. I, I do want to talk about it because we, we teased with it on the fact checkers so uh, Randy in Kansas uh, be patient with us here because we, we said we'd talk about this and that's a fact checkers because uh, we continue to worry about people's over-reliance on the internet technology and even more so the so-called independent fact-checkers. We recently did a post on the JOLTS report, and it was flagged for false information. When clicking on the reason for false information, Facebook indicated it flagged the post because there is no record of Martin Luther King Jr. saying, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter.
1: And this was according (laughs) to AAP Fact Check. And we talked about the JOLTS report already. If you, you noticed... It did not contain that quote or mention Martin Luther King Jr. at all. At all. (laughs) So it's just a a very strange thing. And as I said, we had people comment on it. We kind of commented on it. And Facebook never fixed it. And it's like, ah, it's just frustrating. But, you know, just as a society, I I believe we need to really emphasize critical thinking and doing more than just surface level research that relies on algorithms. Because clearly that's what probably Facebook did is some algorithm marked us as partially false. But... I don't even know how we got registered for Martin Luther King or that quote. that <laughs> we just makes no sense.
0: Yeah. And, and it's just something that you have to realize when you read the post and, and everything. And, and actually some of the comments said, well, we know you guys, you know, have good factual information, uh, but Facebook did not. And I don't think it was flagged on, on
1: LinkedIn or... or uh, I mean, gosh, you're going to have to flag the <coughs> Bureau of Labor Statistics if that's the <laughs> case, I man. It, it's... it's <laughs> It's it's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's
0: just uh, very interesting. And so we just want to bring that up to to be careful. And, and again, they've gone to the other side because before he can do almost anything. Now they're they're checking things and saying it was frustrating because we can't fix it. We can't say, no, this is not correct. And anybody that reads the reason why, they're going to say the same thing. Martin Luther King, what, what are they talking about a speech? It had nothing to do with that. So just – very frustrating. And I remember
1: we had this happen another time as well on Facebook. We did a post about like 5G and this was years ago and it, it was flagged for misinformation. And again, it had nothing to do with the post and right. it, it's just it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. So we just want to point that out. It doesn't happen very often, but we want to point that out. And that the gold report was good information. <laughs> and the reason it's so important is just because people they they just do that surface level surface level now. Where they'll read headlines, they'll pull things from Facebook and say, oh, they have bad information. It's it's false. And it's like no, you gotta actually read things and dive deeper into it and do the research, not just read the headline, because that's that's where you can go way wrong. And, and you know, one thing that I've kind of realized now, there's a
0: lot of information out there but there's a big lack of wisdom and that's what people need is more wisdom and critical thinking to really go through this stuff. All right. Uh, let's go out to, or back to, as I said, I promised to go out to Kansas and speak with uh, Randy. Randy, good morning. You're on a Chase. Chase. How can we help you? Good
2: morning, Brent. Good morning, Chase. How you guys doing?
0: Good, good. Long time. Haven't heard from you.
2: Yeah, it's been a little while. Uh, I, I still listen to you guys every week. I just haven't called in for a while. It,
0: it sounds like you're um, picking up a Southern accent out there. Exactly.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, you never know. You never know. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, glad to hear you guys are uh, partners with the, with the Padres. They're kind of my National League team, even though I'm a huge Royals fan. But <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, always, I always reach for the Padres. Oh. Yeah, my dog's getting crazy here. <laughs> Your dog <laughs> wants me on the radio anyway, too, was, it sounds like <laughs> I always root for the Padres when it comes to League. <laughs> right. Anyway. Hey uh, I've I've got Footlo- I've owned Foot Locker for a couple of years now. <laughs> Sorry guys. No worries. Um anyway, I've owned, owned Foot Locker for a couple of years, it's had a nice run up. But I have kinda of been noticing you guys are a little down on retail right now. Mm-hmm. I know you went over Coles last week and uh, i am real happy with Kohl's and and I see a lot of these uh shoe manufacturers that are opening up their own stores and things. I'm just wondering is Foot Locker still maybe something worth holding. I've, I've made money on it, but I'm thinking about selling it. So Yeah, well, what you guys
0: think? Yeah, let's take a look at it because they, they are a retailer and and we've talked about this before because they sell Nike, which you can get online. They sell Under Armour get online. So I mean, it's one thing that we kind of look at that you know, what are what value they adding? So uh, we'll take a look at the numbers and we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go through it. Again, company is Foot Locker Symbols FL in <clears throat> the apparel retail industry. Uh, high, fairly high short on this, 12.4%, usually above uh, 10. I can start saying, yeah, there's a little bit high there. Uh, we do see that the PE ratio does look good 11.2 versus 25.8. Price to sales, 0.4 versus 1.8. Price to tangible book value, 1.8 versus 27.6. That's a positive. And price of cash was expensive, 22.3 versus 18.6. They do not show a peg ratio, which is disappointing. Now, we do see, and this is surprising to me, over the the past year, earnings fell by 58%, industry down 4.9. So I want to know why did their earnings fall by 58%. That's a a big fall off there. Uh, Their sales were down 2.3% but the industry was up 18.4 so why are their sales going down industry not going down could be a problem here another problem wow five-year earnings per share growth rate estimate <clears throat> a negative 15.2 percent for footlocker but a positive 7.5 percent for the industry so that doesn't say anything good you do get a nice dividend okay. here four percent they use 44.2 percent there earnings to pay that out uh we do see on the balance sheet current ratio 1.6 versus 1.8 that's good debt equity one versus 1.1 we also see a net profit margin 3.9 not as good as the industry at 6.7 and return to equity on the low side 10.4 versus 27.6
1: we like to see at least about a 15% uh, return on equity Chase what do you got yeah well looking at the current price here for Foot Locker it's $40.43 52 week highs $47.22 and the 52 week low $23.85 Year-to-date, I see the stock's up 8.1%. And I remember, if not last year, a couple of years ago, I think there were some issues with Nike, and that's when the stock kind of plummeted. And I remember kind of looking at it and saying, oh, it could be interesting, but it looks like it has recovered from those levels. But going out to January 2025, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.17. What gives the target sell price of $69.22. So again, the valuation looks very good, but the other strange thing, so you talked about the earnings declining about 58%. It looks like in 2024, since they report on a fiscal basis, they're also estimated to decline about 29%. So hopefully this is kind of trough earnings for them and they can kind of build back out of it. But with that, my question is, what's kind of the, the encore? You know, what, what are they going to do next? Uh-huh. I mean- that's where the issue kind of ensues where if Nike's like, "Ah, we don't really want to go to foot locker anymore this this company could could have major issues
0: and Randy, I assume yeah. they have foot lockers out there in kansas do Do you go to one there at all
2: uh they're out here, they're in the malls. We've got malls where I don't go to malls, but I know they're still in there, but um. Yeah, I I don't know that I've ever really been to one if I can remember, but <laughs>
0: Yeah, cause I, but, uh,
2: I I kinda got in back when you, you were talking about when the fifty two week low was around twenty three, twenty five. I, I got in about then mm-hmm. when they were having the issue <laughs> with Nike. And so it's had a nice little run up and I've i collected pretty decent little dividend over the time, but I just started getting a little bit concerned when you guys were kinda down on coals and retail overall and i thought you know what i better call them and see what they think about this yeah and, and you it do collect you, to me after after you guys went over it
0: so yeah and you, you collect about a four percent dividend but i i just as chase kind of said too I, I just don't see a big growth factor for Foot Locker going forward you've got a nice profit okay. on it uh yeah. i don't i don't go in foot locker i don't know anybody that goes in a foot locker I, i'm sure people are going in there but i feel it's more of a declining business than a growing business mm-hmm. uh i i I, I, I just and it could be wrong
1: yeah. oh, it yeah. could be but you know oh, yeah. it is just kind of the the surface level research but you know if you listen to the conference calls and yeah. stuff that the management might talk about their growth plans and you know uh, they don't always yeah. make sense and if they don't right. make sense then it, I would I would stay out of it but if they're doing something to, to generate growth yeah maybe maybe it is still worthwhile to hold yeah I mean if, if you
0: came yeah. to us and said okay we want uh you to manage our money uh, we would sell foot locker yeah. so
2: okay does that help you out that's, that's kind of here because i'm up about 50 percent on it right now and i'm thinking i'll just cut my profits out and go find something else
0: is it yeah. a retirement account or a regular account
2: uh it's a retirement account oh,
0: so so no taxes due there yeah I, I, yeah I, that yeah no noise.
2: tax no tax ramifications so yeah yeah yep
0: well good well congratulations all right. well, on that.
2: Good. We'll, we'll talk to you later
0: okay Randy. all right bye-bye all right bye-bye all right that does not open up the phone line because we only got like about another minute left here but gosh a great show some good good things we had here good conversations uh good companies that we found and um You know, Oh, I want to mention the workshop. That's what I want to do because the workshop is important. Uh, The workshop, again, is coming up on uh, Thursday, April 20th at uh, 6 p.m. in Scripps Ranch at our office there. Uh, It's going to talk about how you should be investing now, will there be a recession or not, and how you invest during that recession. What do you do if it does happen? What if it doesn't happen? Well, the workshop, again, will be April 20th at 6 o'clock our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- 546 Five four six four three zero six, and be sure to visit that website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com have a great day we'll talk more next week right here on the smart investing show
2: so that I did all that. and may i say